I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Well, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We, we still ain't got, we, we still ain't haven't figured Wakanda. out. Wakanda. It's Wakanda. Okay, it's Wakanda. <laughs> Until we have something new, bitch. Say the shit. See, this thing I do what's new with every damn week. <laughs> we gotta come up with something new. She come up with something new every every year, but somehow we this well, is going like over a year. Slipping for the whole year. So. <laughs> Keep it Evangelista. Yes. Well, hey, maybe we we'll have to do something. Team like, Evangelista. Hmm. That's who my team is. Although right. I love Electra, I gotta go with the underdog. I always go with the underdog. Although I live in Miss Electra's cheekbones. Ah. Mm. She Who's the actress? Who's the, the, the mom? What's her, what's her name? Like the, the, the oh, Dominique. Plays Electra Dominique she Jackson. Is all that. Jeez, I was like, okay, Everything. okay, you okay. like. I mean, oh, all like, right, you got mm-hmm. the whole Let's fucking do. cast. <laughs> Every time Angel's on, I'm just like, all right, like, let's get started with the show. I know, because I, I, I know we're gonna fan <clears throat> yeah, her out. We're gonna be fan her like, okay. I'm gonna try not to be biased. This is gonna be the gayest show of the whole season. I'm gonna try not to be biased as much as possible. I'm gonna try to be as neutral and accommodating as possible, but I will be fan squeeing over here. Hey, that's what's up. Mm -hmm. So, you guys know how we do it on the rant room. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. You hear her, Lisa Bolakaja. Yes. The sweet nerdist. Yes. AKA. Sunburnt mommy. <laughs> the, the black the black gidget. The black gidget got burnt, y'all. What you didn't do, girl? Uh, I was laid out on the lovely, comfortable fold out chair <laughs> with my candle and a nice glass of wine. She always got a little wine. I on. forgot to put sunblock on. Mm hmm. And I was drinking, and because I got it from like someone gave me a free book to read, and I was like, "Oh, great!" for my right. Kindle, and I read, and I fell asleep, and I woke up, and I was burned. Oh, you fall asleep outside. I was burned. Box. I was oh, burned. And it. the hummingbirds were coming by, looking at me like, "You're a barbecue." <laughs> <laughs> then we got my man in the house, Chris Derrick from the writing directing team, the Derrick Brothers. What's up, Chris? Not much. Just yeah. Today's good day. Yeah, some yeah. good shit going on. Yes, excited. Is, is stuff. it an ice cube? He's singing ice cube. That's what is I was saying too. Like, <laughs> were you were you were you sitting some tri- triple doubles and mom didn't make no pork? <laughs> Made a black with no pork. That's this hilarious. is good though. It's mm-hmm. exciting. Tomorrow. <laughs> Could all change tomorrow, but today's good. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So um, if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get to the show. Yes. So this is gonna be an awesome one, y'all. We got my man in the house, my home team. My cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Canals, y'all. Writer, executive producer himself of our hit show. My hit show. Like, it's mine. Like, like it's my, my new favorite. Show, it's my, my show. show. It's my show. <laughs> I don't care what those other people on Twitter right. are talking about. It's my show. It's the only show that me and my husband watch live. I don't watch any show That's live. That's amazing. It's the only show. It's because of your ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. Pose, y'all, on FX. What's up, Stephen? Welcome to the hey, show. Hey, thank you for having me. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. We're going to be crazy in here, I'm going to tell you right now. I love I'm ready. Like, wasn't <laughs> it like, like literally after the second episode came out, mm-hmm. 
and I was talking to you, and then I texted you. It's mm-hmm. like, is there any way we can get Steven mm-hmm. on the show? Because we have to talk about Pose. And you were I like, well, you know, he's really busy right now, and we'll see eventually. So usually <laughs> when you say eventually, that could be one or two years. Right. So I was like sitting there all sad. <laughs> and then yesterday, I'm looking on Twitter. Was it yesterday? No, the day before, you were in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at Twitter mm-hmm. And I'm like Oh let me just see What's going on in Pose Because Pose They're really good At live tweeting right. And info So let me mm-hmm. go see The great gifs That I can steal And Stephen was like In Belleville Park In my hometown mm-hmm. Talking about Hey Let's have a scavenger hunt <laughs> <laughs> I have this Pose aspect little flag Come find me On Belleville Park Now mind you This is a day That I had just got sunburned I just woke up <laughs> And literally was like Should I tweet to him Like are you on Park Boulevard Or on 6th Avenue Are you by the Ruben H. Fleet Theater Are you over on the other side Like where the museum stuff is Are you at the Japanese Are you at You know Because I know Belleville Park Inside and out mm-hmm. That's my spot But I couldn't move <laughs> so I was unable to go run because I would have found you. Where's your, I believe that. Where's your aloe vera at? I mean, you got to put that on to like deal with that sunburn. Okay, I did not know that Trader Joe's only sells the aloe vera gel I normally use. They only sell it during the summer. What? Is this oh. summer now? Oh no, in yeah, summer. But I have not been to Trader Joe's in a while, so I thought, listen. She's walking around just dear, burning. Dear black people, <laughs> they've been telling you for years that you, you don't burn. They sure have. Bitch, we do. <laughs> <laughs> it might take a little bit longer. Right. But I messed up. <laughs> Everybody cooks. So note yeah. to Everybody self. cooks. Don't, totally. read, don't read romances and a glass of wine on your mama's exactly. deck in the sunlight because you will exactly. fall the fuck out and wake up like, I can't move. I did that one I'll, time as a kid. I fell asleep on a dive. You know, we did pull it back out. I fell asleep on the diving board. Not even that long. Maybe like 10 minutes. And I, and I was like, like this, you know, and it got to burn on my shoulders, yes. and it like and it's, you're covering it's, yourself, you yes. know. So it's it's only good when my arms are yes. up. Is when it wasn't hurting, so I brought them down. I was yes. just like, ah. <laughs> ah I was like terrible. Stewie on Family Guy when he got burnt when he went underneath the little the tanning thing and he came out and it was like ah. That was me. It's terrible. So I was Anywho. unable to run down there. See what I gotta deal with Steve. I'm sorry. Tomorrow. Okay. They just be yip yapping and jaw jabbing. Continue. And shout out to my man Jesse Foster over there from the, um, the Fishbowl Podcast. What's up, man? Hey! Thank you. <laughs> He's sitting in, checking out what we're doing. He's going to take me on the next one. Um, so, welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank, Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm so proud of you, dude. Here. So proud of you. We, Whenever we have shit that we love, we, we might be in tears at some point during the show. Don't oh, I'm telling you. Because we were a little teary-eyed like, last, yes. last time we got together. We are yes. just talking about what the show means. Mm-hmm. But anyway, continue. Indeed. So, yeah, we actually talked to you about you on the last episode. We were talking about shows, shows we love shows and shows we, love we and hate. hate. Mm-hmm. We, went on, we went in on some shows. I wouldn't say and then hate. We, we didn't hate. Yeah. It's more like, if you would have done this, yeah. I would have been a little happier. Right. Critique, right? Yes. So it's a but, critique. But your show, we raved about. Thank you. We didn't have nothing negative to say. No, the only thing negative I have to say about Pose <laughs> is that it's written. <laughs> no, no, it's written. No, no, literally, it's it's written so well that I feel like it ends so fast. Like I'm into it. There's no the writing. Slow, the is writing is really so good, good right. that when the show is over, I'm mm. upset because I feel like I want to mm. be more time. Well, see, it's also got great music cues that oh kind of like no, it has everything that bring you in in a way but that, I just that feel speed like it I, up. You know what way, it is? I, I just want more. Okay. Like if it could just be 90 minutes every episode, it is a little bit long anyway, though, isn't it? I was gonna say, the part of the crit- criticisms we received, they're too long. No, no, who are those people? They are lying. I know them is fighting My words. Thing is, I love it so much that I feel like when it, I'm oh I'm here I'm here, and I feel like it's over too fast for me, right. and then I have to wait a whole nother week. <sighs> it's hard. I have one criticism. I have one criticism. It's, it's not really on you, but it's mm. like 
the marketing of the show when the show when I, when I saw posters around town, I thought this was another reality show at first, mm. and I wasn't really because it's you know it was just a photograph of someone's face. Right, right. Thing, you didn't know what it was. I didn't really know what it was, right. and I was like, "What is this?" And, I, and and my default is because it's kind of theatrical and everything. I was like, "Oh, it's a reality show. It's going to yeah. be like." Like America's Next Top Yeah, because you were raving about the, the posters. Like you loved the yeah, posters. I mean, they're great. Right. They're great. But then I was, but at the, but at the time, I didn't know it was a, it was a, it was a scripted show. I was like, oh, it's, mm-hmm. it's great graphics. But then on a scripted show, I was like, that's not letting me know enough about. It's not selling it right to mm-hmm. me because it's a really, really, really good show. And I think that Amazing. you know, as, as a straight guy, I was like, you know, I told them, I said, you know, I'll watch it because I want to see how it plays mm-hmm. for someone who's not the core audience. You know, mm-hmm. and it's still a really, really right. good show. It's mm-hmm. very dramatic. Uh, truthful, dynamic. I mean that. I mean that. That scene when the dad is is whooping boy with the belt. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Fuck, that's right. some brutal shit." That's it real. Just, it, it just felt like. Um, it, I mean, it, these are my thoughts. I thought it was really interesting. I hope you guys go. The thing I like about it, like as a visual aesthetic, is that it takes place in the eighties. And it looks like an 80s movie. Like it has the color palette and, all, and the camera movement. Yeah. I was like, that's really cool. Mm. That's really smart. That sets this world and this tone in a way that like really brought me into the show. And I was like, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to watch it. And I will, play, this I, will, I will play devil's girlfriend. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I will say oh, the core audience is everybody. Because I agree. One of the arguments I that's see people. True. I, one of the arguments I say, I see. I'm just talking about people online. Who say comments like, oh, you know, for a person who's hetero and I'm watching the show, I come, mm-hmm. it's like, that show is for everybody. So We get, all have hope. You, we yeah, all need family. You we get everything. Right. And you don't have to be a trans person. You don't have to be a gay person. You don't have to be a person of color to watch right. the show and get something from it. Yeah. Because the writing is so intense. I, I saw somebody on Twitter talking about, bitch, this show is like, this is us. Because everybody's crying every week. Every and week I said, I said every point. week I am. And then I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm drinking wine with it. So the third, the third episode. No, no, seriously. You know how sometimes you drink a little bit? I don't drink and watch TV. I don't drink and watch TV. I don't know that experience. Well, you're relaxing. And you know how sometimes liquor kind of loosens you up and gets you a little emotional sometimes anyway? So I thought, well, maybe let me watch episodes three and four and five <laughs> oh, that's without, the really liquor, without the liquor. Without the liquor. And just right. see, maybe I'm just being extra. Mo- I mean, emotional anyway. And it was like, no, bitch. Every fucking episode, right. I'm in my feels. Right. And then when the show is over, I have to, literally, I have to sit there and decompress. I have to go outside and sit with my dog and decompress because I have to think about all my friends. Mm-hmm. So we start getting emotional. Yes. Like, all my yes. friends who... Who passed away in the yes. 80s, who had AIDS yes. and things like that, who didn't get to see this. Mm-hmm. And so every episode, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I wish they could have seen this. Yeah, but see, okay, this, I'm told you, so, there's only one so, of them episodes, isn't so, there? So, good this is what I'll say about the core. <clears throat> see core, what you didn't do? About, <laughs> about, about the core. Didn't happy tears uh, out. About, about being the target <laughs> audience is that having not watched the show, then you might not think it's for you. Right. But the minute you watch the first, I'd say, 15 minutes? Yeah. I mean, and you, you understand, I mean, like, I, see, like, I'm so bad with people's names at first, but that scene that the guy sleeping on the park bench and the guy tries to, like, Damon. Just, like mm-hmm. steal his yeah. thing, it's yeah. like, the, the minute that scene plays, it's like, I, it's like, I know this movie. I know mm-hmm. this story, mm-hmm. and it's like, 
I mean, in terms of like, not, it's not saying cliche. I've seen it, but it's like I, I feel that you know. In a certain sense, it, it, it just it, it reminded me because I just watched, I love watching the opening sequence to all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like that kind of struggle, like that kind of like we're in this because we have to do this. We have to we have to show what our truth is, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what like what other people say to us. And if people don't like it, they don't have to. So, if people don't like uh, like us or don't like it, so what? Right. It's not. Their life that we're living, we're living right. our life, and that's what it shows. And is, the structure, is, is, like, is for yeah. everybody. And let's really hear from Stephen yeah. now. Let's we got him on Steven. the show, and we'll no, talk about the structure. Stephen, you, you know what? He's laryngitis today. He's like that. So, for the people who don't know you, let's just give a little bit of background on where you're from, how you got into the game, mm-hmm. and you know how this all happened for you. Um, okay, that's enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Good night. Uh, well, my name's Steven. Uh, originally from the Bronx. Yes. yes. Uh, born. Like we can't hear his accent. Okay. Right? Like it's, <laughs> that's yes. funny because usually people it's, don't it's, say that. It's no, not that no, strong. No, it's not that yeah. strong. No, it's not. Yeah. Um, but grew up in a, you know, mixed race, black Puerto Rican mm-hmm. family. Um, raised in the projects. Mm. In the 80s. Um, so this was in the midst of both the crack and right. HIV epidemics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was little. I was born in 1980. Okay. You know, so at the height of, of um, mm-hmm. particularly in the height of crack, you know, 86, right. 87, right. Um, like I was a young kid, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you're growing up in that environment, growing up in the Bronx, growing up in the projects around all of this devastation, you know, there's only so much that a parent can shield their child, right. mm-hmm. you know, and I was very inquisitive and... Um, so I was hyper aware of my surroundings and my environment. And I think you see a lot of the influence of growing up in that environment in my work now, mm-hmm. you know, the type of stories that I like to tell. But anyway, all that to say that, you know, grew up with my life being directly impacted by, by both epidemics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up really fearful. And so TV and, and film became a salvation for right. me. Because I think my mom was aware that like, I was this really small you know, very sensitive boy. And I think there wasn't a way to, I don't know that I was aware of my queerness at that point. And mm-hmm. I don't know that my, maybe my parents may have assumed, but I think that they could tell that the world was going to swallow me up. Right. And so my mother, I think was okay with me being inside. And so I spent a lot of time, I mean, I went out and I played, but I spent a lot of time indoors mm-hmm. in front of the television. And I loved, like I just consumed film and TV at mm-hmm. a voracious rate. And where a lot of my contemporaries were watching more age-appropriate things. Like, I was that odd kid that, you know, like, at 9 and 10, I already owned, like, a book that had all of the Oscar nominees mm. and would, like, cycle through. Like, right. okay, what were all the best picture winners for 19... Or, or nominees and winner for 1970? Mm-hmm. And then want to be taken to, you know, whatever it was, Blockbuster Video, whatever it was the video store at that time, and rent those movies and mm. watch oh them. God, that's so, like, I was a really school. weird... A little cinephile, you wasn't it? get yeah. your house and go get your movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You know, <laughs> Those are the good old days. <laughs> good old days. <laughs> or go to the library and yes. borrow them. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. But at that time, you could actually find those movies. Yeah. Right. You can't find them now. They're yeah. not on... Very hard to find now. Yeah. Or you have to spend like a thousand dollars for the Criterion edition. Oh my God. I know. I have to wait for it when they go on sale. Exactly. No, no kidding. I'm like, was that fifty percent? Okay. Bro, Barnes and Noble. Criterion blow. I've always been stock up. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that was sort of those were those early formative years. But you know, growing up in that environment, it's not like you have a model, right? So. Mm-hmm. My dad was, you know, blue collar worker, worked for Maytag. He was a Maytag man, fixing mm-hmm. washing machines and dryers. And um, and my mom was a teacher. 
she taught kindergarten or still teaches kindergarten. And so, you know, for me, there wasn't an example for anyone who wanted to step into film and television. And to be honest, I don't know that I really knew that that was something I wanted to do either. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until, to fast forward, it wasn't until I was in high school, I was a sophomore in high school, um, and I was going to this, I was a Stevenson High School in the Bronx, which no longer exists, not closed. It was Mm -hmm. was on this list called the Sir List. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know if it's called something else now. Like a special um, school or something? But it's like any any school <laughs> that are part of the public, New York public in, um, system mm-hmm. that aren't doing well, where students are just, you know, grades are low or students aren't completing SATs or dropping out. Mm-hmm. They get put on this list and they're supposed to receive more services, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't always happen, but they keep an eye on those schools. And if at a certain point they don't, those numbers don't increase, like they just, they don't see an improvement um, in terms of, student success rates mm-hmm. then those schools eventually I, I don't know what they do but I a lot of the schools I know of that have been on that list they go away mm-hmm. they just they close them down <laughs> Wait, and so, so, <laughs> so where did the kids go it's like yeah. right. well, they find somewhere yeah. else yeah, yeah. they send them somewhere else wow. where the school wow. is, is that they don't I, I know what you're talking about it's like they just kind of go it's a lost cause so we'll push so, so we'll disperse you around to where you'll just have to pick up you know, they, they think that, le- that that learning is by osmosis. So if right. you're around other kids that are doing well, then you'll have to do well despite because yeah. you're around there as opposed yeah. to saying... There's a competition thing yeah. about it sometimes, yeah. they think, I guess. It's really interesting because, like, my <laughs> junior high, I went to uh, IS-131 in the Bronx, and mm-hmm. that is now a leadership academy, mm-hmm. which just blows my mind because when I was there, it was not that. Right. Um, and now the Stevenson High School building, like, the structure is still there, and there are a bunch of... Um, charter schools that are all part of it. Mm-hmm. So there's like an all-girl leadership academy that's also, you know, they're they're using that building as their facility. But mm-hmm. but Stevenson as a high school is now gone. But anyway, all that to say that when I was in my sophomore year, they started an after-school program called Youth Ministries for Peace and Justice. Um, and the focus of that program was around um, using art as a tool for community re- revitalization. Mm-hmm. Um, And I guess to a certain extent also as like a social justice tool. And so as part of that after school program, I had my first taste of creating film. Hmm. And so I worked on a documentary short while I was in that program that I co-produced with nine of my classmates. Um, And that was the first time that I was ever part of uh, the creation of content and realized, oh, this is something that I could do with my life if I really wanted to. Um, And so that experience is what inspired me to want to become a filmmaker. The sad story, the part of, of, of that narrative is that one of my classmates um, who co-produced that piece with me, so we focused on turf violence. Because mm-hmm. at that time, I think it was the Bloods had reemerged mm-hmm. in the South Bronx, and now we're talking about like 94, mm-hmm. 94, 95. Um, yeah, that's when they moved to the East Coast and really started getting big. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, like, and it was bad. Like We had mm-hmm. like a teacher had been... Like sliced by a student with a right. box cutter, and you know it was it was not it was terrible. The the Bronx was a rough time at that point. Right. But um, one of the students, one of my classmates who was producing the documentary with me, was shot and killed a week before we finished editing yeah. our doc. And you know we went from highlighting an experience that people were having in our neighborhood to suddenly having the experience. Mm. Um, and it was on the heels of that her death and and that experience of making that documentary that I realized that my work would always live somewhere in the intersection of art and entertainment Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or or excuse me entertainment and education Mm -hmm. rather Um, you know that film and TV obviously has the ability to entertain but more than that like it has the ability to open hearts and minds Um, and so I've always 
strive to have that be you know. And see, we always talk about that that writers always have a theme that they find. Sometimes it's like subconscious, like you're not right. aware of it. Mm-hmm. it. Takes you three or four projects to realize that you're writing about that thing. Mm-hmm. It's good that you connected into it, though. That's that's great. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I studied cinema as an undergrad at Binghamton and university and I thought at the time that I wanted to be a filmmaker so my huge desire was like I'm going to be the next you know director whose name is also Steven (laughs) on the heels of Steven Spielberg you know and then in the late 80s early 90s we had Steven Soderbergh so you know and Steven Zalian wrote Schindler's List and so I thought well clearly I'm on track and then I go to college (laughs) and I was like no I'm not on track there's like 90 there's like 90 other Stevens here (laughs) yeah really um and so I was like well maybe not um it was tough. It was just it was difficult to be in like your early twenties and to be in a program. So the Binghamton Cinema Program is rooted in experimental video. Okay. So it's not traditional. You're not making you know like standard Hollywood fare. Type film. Yeah, I mean you're you're looking at artists like Maya Darren and Stan Brackage um, for folks who are familiar with experimental right. video, right. and that was tough. You know, it was just. I didn't really feel like I knew what I was doing and I, like my desire wasn't to be an auteur in that way, mm-hmm. um, and so I left Binghamton just feeling really burnt out, but also unclear about what I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I fell into education, higher education specifically, because mm-hmm. I had been an RA for two years and I had been an orientation advisor. And so I went back to school for a master's in, in social science and I mm-hmm. focused on higher education. And so I was working, starting in residence life and then ended my career working out of multicultural offices. So I was working primarily with um, students of color, LGBTQ mm-hmm. students, women, um, and then talking about issues around race and class and gender and intersectionality. Right. And that was my life for the better part of eight years. Wow. wow. Um, but that piece around education and having difficult conversations and talking about um, just the importance of identity, like I bring all of that obviously in with me to my practice mm-hmm. as a writer. Mm-hmm. And so those years don't feel like a waste. You know, they don't feel... Well, see, you know what? This is where I think a lot of people make the mistake is that there's very few people who can come out of their teens and know how to effectively transcribe human experiences mm. to work on film and television. And some people come out here just out of their teens or just out of their college wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. And they burn out and get chewed up by the city and by the town because they can't get the material the way that it needs to be because they don't have life experience right. and obviously you're working in education and you're dealing with and dealing with people you mentioned identity too because it's like you're dealing with people who are trying to come into their own and so much of what happens when you write is about people who are going through that struggle you know um, and it's, it's probably a fantastic experience for you to have that eight years of doing that. Well, you know what's interesting about you saying that is I don't think I realized that that's what was happening at the time, though. No, right? you don't. You totally don't. Right. But, 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 but now it's this huge wealth of information for you just to pull out of whenever you need to. Right. You know? Oh, absolutely. And, and the degree as well. You mm-hmm. know, I know when I decided to ultimately leave education, higher education, as a college administrator, um, aside from the fact that I had plenty of colleagues who were like, you're an idiot, because my, <laughs> my mentor in, in ed was 
encouraging me to go back for a PhD. And I was yeah. on track to do that, you mm. know? And I think, you know, I had enough people in my life where, like, I could see you being, like, the vice president of a, of a university one day. Mm-hmm. And I just, it never felt right. Mm-hmm. You know, it just always felt wrong. And I was working in a field where you're supposed to be student-centered and student-first. Mm-hmm. And so it was really difficult for me to say out loud, this is not my, <laughs> it's just not my passion. Yeah. It just is, it doesn't it's turn me on. Right? Right. I was really scared. It was scary for me to acknowledge that. Um, but really, I think the transition for me was turning 30. I turned 30 and I just had this moment where I thought, shit, in 30 more years, I'm going to be 60. And mm. I've done 30 years of living and I had to really backtrack to my earliest memories, mm-hmm. which for me started around three. And I was like, wow, you know, I have 27 years of memory. And there's really no way to quantify what a memory time when it comes to memory mm-hmm, right. if that makes any sense mm-hmm. to folks listening like it's just yesterday f- to me feels exactly like five years ago right. or like 20 years ago right. it's just a memory right. right and I can recall it and so if you can recall it doesn't really matter how long ago mm-hmm. the memory was it just it feels present for you mm-hmm. and so all that to say that I thought I just don't want another 30 years to go by and to reflect and feel like I wasted it like regret is probably the thing I fear the most mm-hmm. um, and so at that point I thought I have to walk the walk because I'm sitting in this office where I'm telling students how to live their best life mm-hmm. and I'm not living my best Ooh. life you know and parents are Ooh. spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to send their children to this university where I'm supposed to be the person who's modeling certain behaviors Ooh. for them and where I'm aiding them in how to go out into the world and be successful right. you know and how do you do that if you yourself haven't done it mm-hmm. And so that was the decision. That really was the moment for me where I thought, no, you have to do something else with your life. And so I applied to UCLA has an online screenwriting program um, called the Professional Program. Mm -hmm. And so I just did that for a year, thinking that it would be nothing more than a hobby. I was like, oh, I'm just going to get reacquainted with my art. That's all it'll be. (laughs) But the minute that I started writing that very first awful script that I wrote (laughs) that no one will ever see... (laughs) It just it felt like that moment in Minority Report when Tom Cruise is putting all the memories yeah, together yeah, yeah, yeah. and everything just falls into place and mm-hmm. that's what it felt like for okay. me. I was like, oh, oh shit, you know. And like I've had a, only a handful of times in my life have I had a moment where, like, you feel it. The way that I describe it is like that feeling that you have if you are on a roller coaster right before you're about to do the big yes. drop and all the butterflies oh, yes. are there. But it's, I wouldn't have to drop yet, you know? But it's you like know you know it's about, about to come, come you know? About to come. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And Suspense at the highest yeah. level. At the highest <laughs> level. And that's that feeling that I had the minute I started writing. I thought, oh, this is something here. Mm-hmm. This is going to change my life. And I knew it, it in that scary. moment. And it was, it was very scary, scary, but it was like, there's, I'm an odd bird in that like whenever that scary feeling happens it it does something ephemeral for me where I'm like Ooh, I know something good is on the horizon because right. particularly for me when it comes to writing and work whenever I have that sca- that scared feeling when something's really uncomfortable for me I know that whatever I produce is going to be Badass. You hear that, Chris? No, but see, look. We were just look, talking about something last time. See, look. See, look. I love you it. Understand, you understand something. This is the thing about any type of creativity that you do. The passion, that's, the, that, that's this moment of suspicion about it. Right. It's the passion burning in you. Mm. And it's just, and it's telling you, you got to do this. You can't, like, you can't deny it. Mm-hmm. And, the thing is, is that when you get into this business, you know that you have to have that burning passion on on a project. Because if you don't, the project will die. Right. 
and it's and it, and it should die because you're not so behind it because you got to fight too many battles. You have to be like you have to constantly be questioning like, is it good enough yet? Is it good enough? And 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 that is it good enough? Is not are, are you saying are you good enough? But is that there's that translation of what's in your head and what's on the page, and that's what you're wondering. Is what's on the page as good as it is in my head? Is it is it feeling that good? And that is the that's that fear. That's that thing that you gotta like embrace and just grab and run with. Because mm-hmm. when you know that it's happening to whatever you're working on, it's gonna go. Right. Because it's like because it's like shit. I'm actually just a vessel here. I'm not a fucking a creator. I'm just putting this out and I'm gonna hold on and it's gonna drag mm-hmm. me and drag everyone else who gets near me. Mm-hmm. And that's. The coolest thing in the world. Right. Yeah. That's when you're a writer, creator, director. That's when like the world like drops away from you. Like all the bullshit is gone. Like every and just like this is so exciting. But I think to your point about dropping the bullshit, I, you have to be honest with yourself because I know having at this point now living in LA for six years, I've met enough writers who I think fool slash convince themselves that the work that they're doing <laughs> is that. That's true. And it's not. And so I think, right. you know. You, uh, say that one more again. <laughs> we, were we not talking about this? Yes. Okay. So you have to have okay. very discerning taste. Thank you. You have to surround yourself with people who are going to be really honest and keep yeah. it 100 always. Yeah. You know, because I, there are times where, and again, you have to work really hard to get to that point where you can have that honesty with yourself. But times where you really do believe, like, you are the second coming of Christ and what you just dropped mm-hmm. is incredible and it's like mm, but it's really not <laughs> you know and it's hard and, and like I had those early on moving to LA where you know I think those there were pieces in the beginning where I thought this is it this is the one yeah. this is the calling card right. you're welcome Hollywood <laughs> <laughs> you know and then it's like yeah no <laughs> not so much yeah <laughs> you know and the thing I realized is like I don't know that we are the we as the creators we as the writers I don't and so, I, I, before I even say what I'm about to say... Let we me don't just, know what it is you say. We don't know it. Well, that and, I don't know that it's our responsibility to figure it out. Mm. Mm. Right. 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 So, I think, ultimately, Hollywood is going to... Hollywood, whatever that means in air quotes, mm-hmm. is going to determine for you like what your calling card is and what is the piece that they want best from you. I think the only thing that we can control are being ready for it. <laughs> well, right. A and B, like what is it that we are passionate about, knowing what our voice is, and making sure that the content, whatever we're putting on the page, is the very, very best possible. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. really work hard to make sure that the stories that you're crafting is quality mm-hmm. and true to the characters and to the world that you yourself have created. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that's a, you know, it's a very interesting thing you bring up about like being true and knowing it's quality. Because I think a lot of times, I was watching this thing the other day, it's like, you know, there's so many like passable movies mm-hmm. and passable shows. Like they kind of work or they do work, but, but they don't elevate. And it's and it's some, usually because it's maybe like a, like a tonal thing we've seen, mm-hmm. or that's a little off somewhere. But it seems fine because no one's like telling us that's wrong because it's working. But it's not absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And when you know this, I mean, and you're right. It's not us to say it's absolutely right. But but we have to be that you know you know like that the barometer of is it totally all working because you know and is the world we've created all feeling like it like it fits and meshes yeah. because that's when everyone because that's when the storyteller spell doesn't get broken hmm. and that's what you are striving for mm-hmm. and you're right you don't know if the storyteller's if that spells are broken because 
you think it's real because because you because that's your incantation. Right. But it's other people who have to stand under the spell, and if they do, that's when you know that it's worked. But let me let me use this as like a metaphor, which is I think for any person, right? You can look in the mirror, and I'm and I'm going to ignore like what our own. Um, notions of like beauty are right because I think that's individual and I mm-hmm. don't subscribe to like what greater society tells us is beautiful so when you look in the mirror you know what you see and what you like right, right. like you know what your own personal mm-hmm. style is and you know when you're feeling good and so I think writing I would equate it is exactly the same right it's like you know what you're putting down on the page and what feels good and what doesn't feel good and what reads well and what doesn't read well. And right. you know, and, and I think obviously the jury's out on grad school and I was very privileged and that I was able to attend UCLA and I know not, not everyone is going to either be able to get in and or have the means. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the benefits of being in that program for three years is that by the end of the third year, I knew when all cylinders were going, okay. right? I knew when I'm, I now have the ability when I'm writing, I know if what I put down on the page is quality. Right. And when I'm like, yep, that's, that's Stephen giving me A plus right. work versus yeah. this is Stephen giving me B D plus work. But also, you know when it's B plus, not A plus. Mm-hmm. And, right. and to a certain people, like that little fine line like could just be two lines of dialogue in a scene you know what right. if I cut these like this little exchange scene works better mm-hmm. you know but I mean knowing it, how to edit yeah like, 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 yeah, like absolutely just, just, just knowing that whole thing is a very like you said it's like that's when all cylinders are firing and I think a lot of people but and it goes back to your point about they've convinced themselves differently they don't know but you really have to say to yourself what have you seen that you love or what have you read that you love that really push you to a different space mm-hmm. and then you say to yourself are you honest to say is is your stuff is what i did right. now like when i read it do i cuz see like like for instance this is a short story that i wrote that the ending of it and i've been over it i've must have edited it like 10 12 times right i always get teary when i read the ending Hmm. I fucking know the ending. Right. I've written the ending myself. I know it. I but every time I read it, I get here. I feel the same heart. Like, oh shit, that's gonna. Hurt. But I was like, I, what the fuck? Why? Was, but that's why I know it's good. You I know? still, I still do that. That's with, what it is. I, I was telling you, Stephen, uh, and when we were emailing back and forth, that I wrote the story of Sylvester. Mm-hmm. And every time, as you know, he dies of AIDS. I can't read the end because I know I'm gonna be bawling. You know, when I get there, mm-hmm. every time people read their script. They get, they call me, oh my God, I was bawling at the end. I'm like, I can't even read it. Mm-hmm. I can't even, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. Totally relate to that. But that's the truth of you telling yourself what the, what the truth is about you and your work. And that's the truth that, it, that other right. people are going to recognize. Right. And that's what they're responding to. But you have to work to get to that place. Yes. And the reason why, I, again, to go back to the metaphor, the reason why I equate it to, to specifically how we view ourselves and body is that everyone has their own hang-ups and complexities, mm-hmm. right? So, like, as a kid growing up, it was like, God, why did my skin have to be this color, mm-hmm. right? Or why did my hair have to be this texture? Why mm-hmm. couldn't it be more like mommy's? Right, or, right. you know, like, there's always something. And at a certain point, you just have to look in the mirror and say, I love me. Mm-hmm. I love me for me fully and wholly. Right. Even if right now there's, like, a little bit of extra weight around my gut. Even <laughs> if, you know... room gut, bitch. I know, know what okay. that is. I put on eight pounds being in the room. Hi, you know what? It's just like, <laughs> I'll slap on some Spanx and call it a day. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Really and truly. Um, but like, you know, you do what you need to do to make yourself feel good. And anyway, I think it's 
again, I equate that to the process of writing, which mm. is, you know, you come to a point where you're just like, I look in the mirror and I love me and I've had to work really hard to get to that right. point mm -hmm. where it's just like, and I know, I know what outfits I'm going to wear that are going to make me feel good on a particular day, right. Right? right? And I know that, you know, there are particular um, moments in my life that, you know, if I look at a picture of me from you know, two years ago, I'm going to see a different version of the one that exists right mm -hmm. now. And I think writing is the same process, right? It's that you have to constantly um, be evaluating and reevaluating your voice on the page mm -hmm. and going back sometimes to work, right. you know, and looking at, I think it's important to go back and read your work mm -hmm. and reread it to figure out like, how have you continued to evolve right. as a writer? And you're going to know when there are moments that there are particular words that when you put them on the page, that's going to make you feel good about yourself. Right. You right. And you're going to want to continue to create that experience. Right. And so what was it that was surrounding you at that time that made you feel that way, mm -hmm. you know, in the same way that I know that, like, I feel really good when I have my jean jacket on. And so I, don't, I could give two fucks if people are like, why are you wearing that jean jacket? You I like what? when I wear it I like and it looks it. really good, yeah, right? Okay. So, like, what is the version of a jean jacket for me on the page? Right. Like, like, you know right. what I mean? Listen, right. you had to right. be on the set with all them bitches that would read you in a hot bed. <laughs> oh, and they must believe they surely did. Okay. But I could give a fuck if I was just like, I look cute today. <laughs> I look cute. Yeah. Don't be hating. You will do. There's a lot of pressure on the creator of the <laughs> show. You see, people are gonna hit me up just because of what I'm wearing. Because you know, everyone wants to be as casual as fuck on the crew. It's yes. like I just want to be comfortable. I don't want to wear shit. But on your show, I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> right, exactly. Just the cutting go. I can really, right. truly, oh, really. See, bitch? but I would you say like, <laughs> like my my version of a jean jacket when it comes to writing would be thematically exploring family. Right. Mm whether you know it's birth or chosen mm -hmm. right so to me like i would equate those two things together mm -hmm. okay. um yeah and so that's why more often than not if you look at my work the work that i write it's always focused on family right. that's you know, very specifically because i know that's right. something that feels comfortable it moves you though when yeah. you can feel like yeah. it's coming from your heart yeah. though you know Go ahead, you i was that? gonna say but it's, it's jumping too far ahead i just wanted to say so once you got done with the Getting your writing, your degree in writing. What was the next step to get you to pose? Yeah, what got you in? What broke you yeah, in? Yeah, like the room? what? So what, that what professional program I went through is just a certificate program. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a year, continued to work in education for an additional two years. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! And then after two years, I was like, okay, really? Like you need to make a decision. Like right. what are you doing with your life? Um, look at your life. Look at your choices. And so. I stepped away from education. I thought, okay, I'm really going to commit. I applied to UCLA's MFA screenwriting program only program I applied to um, assumed I probably wouldn't get in mm. and somehow you know the universe is looking out for me mm -hmm. um, I did get in <clears throat> and so I knew okay well I'd made the decision if I apply and I don't get in I knew I wasn't going to go back to working in education that I needed a change I just didn't know what the change would be okay. um, and I told myself if I get in then the universe is giving me a very clear answer that like this is what your life is mm -hmm. and what you're supposed to do and I got in Hmm. So I moved to L.A. September of 2012, um, and I went through three years of the program. 
tail end of my second year in the program, though, because I had been feature focused throughout. Because, like I said, I came in right. thinking, like, I'm just going to write the next great American right. screenplay, right. like, start, you know, inscribing my name in Oscar <laughs> now, and then realize, like, oh, I, writing features is real fucking hard. I feel like since Lost, like, now the kids are like, I want to be a TV writer. It's like, it used to all be, I want to be a film writer and be a film writer. Mm-hmm. And I was so <laughs> anti television. Yeah. It's, it's really? funny and kind of ironic that this is what I'm doing with my life now. Because I was, I was not into it at all. Like, That's when I hilarious. started, the universe has jokes. He was listening to Sure he does. Sure does. <laughs> but look, I, I'm, I'm going to say something about that. Two, there's, there's two things I want to say about that. Like, one, I think that is the thing, too, is that you're right about loss. It opened up how storytelling could be because it put serialized television mm-hmm. off of premium, mm-hmm. right? And, like, whatever you think about loss, good or bad, or whatever it is, it changed the way that we look at television I think more so than Sopranos hmm. I mean Sopranos like like gave us this high water mark but I feel that because they did it on Lost everybody wanted to think that they could do that like like ABC CBS mm-hmm. like these places like like AMC everything like that said oh 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 we can do that because right. they weren't doing that before even though things like Sopranos were on like like that type of storytelling was kind of regulated to HBO to a certain extent, right. you know, because they were making like a little movie every yeah, week. Yeah, boom, or you know, right. and and I, and I so, but but it's I it's interesting you say that about about like writing movies are hard. They are fucking really hard, really hard. in a way that is not the same in television, mm-hmm. and, and and it's not just yeah. That to be clear, they're both hard. They're both right. hard. <laughs> they're both yeah. hard. You have to close in that bit. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it's I, I don't want to say it's like the escape of a TV pilot, mm-hmm. but you don't have to end it in a way that's satisfactory. You just have to end it in a way that hooks people. You know, in a TV thing, and I mean, and you might think, oh, it's it's forty pages less, so blah blah blah. That doesn't matter because you have to because no. you have to combine a certain amount of of same information that's in that you would have another like twenty pages to deal mm-hmm. with. But but you do, but it's 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 I, I don't know. It's, again, like I was saying earlier, they have to make television. They have to because they got to fill all these damn channels and shit like that. They don't have to make a movie. So they got to make decisions on making a movie that are like so much like, yeah. oh, this has to move me in a way that move different people. But I think it's better or worse. It's just, I think it's just different in a way. But it's, I mean, but people will tell you it's a little harder writing a movie, because, mm-hmm. especially now, because they know I want to make one now. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, nowadays, I would say, honestly, it might be a little bit harder to make TV because we have so many choices and people can just click away and move fast because there's so many uh, content providers out there so you really have to have your shit tight so part of me feels like it's harder for TV now because you can lose because I feel like if you do a movie I mean you can write it and stuff but once people have paid to go they're kind of hostage they're going to go in there and watch Mm -hmm. it but TV you got like 10 minutes Jack (laughs) well also and in this platinum era of television Mm -hmm. where there is so much content and you're seeing content creators create really interesting really subversive and fresh and dynamic work that it's like you can't just walk in with any old generic story anymore. Right. Hello. You know, right. like everyone's looking for like what is the hook? Well, yeah, okay. right. the, the, the bar is so high right now. I mean the bar, you know, like the bar after like Mad Men and Breaking Bad is just now like, you know, if it's not the damn tens on the degree of difficulty mm-hmm. whatever you're going to roll in because you're right. They got to they got to hook you and they got to define their the you know it's it's like people making decisions on like does this define the brand of the network all that kind of shit that's right. just really really mm-hmm. 
as a creator, that's something you're thinking about too. Because I'm sure there's places that you probably took po. Well, I don't know because Ryan has a deal there. But are you probably in, in conceiving it, going, where could this go? Who could put this on the air? And that's a huge decision that every fucking like tailor, like tailor's yeah. guy, you gotta tailor just has to decide. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, you know what? Yeah. If if it's gonna be premium, I gotta have some sex in it, yeah. and mm-hmm. I gotta have a certain amount of sex in it. If it's gonna be HBO or something like right. that, if I'm gonna be maybe like FX or something, I can hint at it or show it, but it can't be. A, mm-hmm. There's all those things that you gotta worry about when you're writing the the, the pilot and even pitching it and telling them what the tone's gonna be because they gotta know is this right for us, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a so, lot. I mean, but so you finish. Yeah, MFA. So what was next? How did you jump from there? Well, no. So I jumped back into the MFA. So at the end of my second year, after being super focused Mm -hmm. on features, um, I sort of make a left turn and decide, yeah, I'm going to try writing a pilot. And so I write a pilot. (laughs) In my mind, it wasn't the best piece of writing um, that I produced while at UCLA, but I really loved the way the writing of that pilot made me feel. Mm. Mm. Again, right. going back gotcha. to what I was just saying right. about right. feelings, right? Yeah. right? right. Yeah. I just thought, oh, it just required a whole different set of muscles, mm-hmm. creative muscles. Um, and I liked what it... There was something that really turned me on about, as we were just talking about, like, I didn't have to end the story. I just needed to have, as my mentor Neil Landau says, you need to have story oh, right. tentacles. Yeah. I've had right. Neil on the show, too. Yes. Love yeah. Neil. Um, and so... and. So Neil always <laughs> says, you know, you want to have story tentacles, you right. want to have threads, you want to have branches, you know. Um, and so there was something about that that really I enjoyed. I, that turned me on. And so then I go into my last quarter, second year in the program, mm-hmm. and I have Neil as a professor. Mm-hmm. First time I'd ever had him as, a, as an instructor. And I went in and I was like, I am a desert wasteland. I have zero <laughs> ideas. I have nothing. <laughs> and while I was at Binghamton, um, and this was just on the cusp of me finally kind of stepping into my queer identity right. and, and coming out, um, I had a professor who had introduced me to the balls and then screened Paris is Burning for me. Oh, okay. And at the time, I remember thinking, vividly can remember walking back to my dorm room, a mm-hmm. residence hall room, thinking... That would make a really great television show. Hello. I cannot wait to watch it. Right. That's literally the thought I had, right? Hmm. And I thought, that's interesting. And I remember thinking about this young black boy moving from the South to mm-hmm. New York to be part of, who wants to just be in a dance company mm-hmm. and then becomes part of the ball culture and gets yeah. enmeshed in this Shut war up. This between is two you houses. thinking about this. In 2004. <laughs> 2004. But that's all it was. I just right. thought, oh, that would be a really great story. Yeah. But see, th- but I'm going to say the great thing is, is, and this is what John August always says, mm-hmm. write the movie or TV show that you want to see, that you want to be the audience of. Don't mm-hmm. write what you think motherfuckers want to see. Right. Write what you want to see. So you had created Little David <laughs> in, yeah, 2004. in 2004. He was a little th- holding on. Right. Oh just a kernel of just an idea. Cur- yes. Just a kernel of yeah. an idea. And so cut to, it's now 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and I step into that class with Neil. And I was talking to a, a good friend of mine. Um, and we were walking to like a happy hour. And I was like, girl, I have no ideas. I was like, <laughs> I have nothing. I don't know what I'm going to write. <laughs> and I, she was like, there's nothing? And I was like, yeah. And I had one other idea that I actually subsequently wrote in my third year with Neil. Mm-hmm. Um, that investigates the crack epidemic of the 80s and okay. through the a family living in the projects 
which is semi-autobiographical. Hmm. And I was too afraid at that point to write that. I just thought, I don't know that I should be writing it right now. I also don't know that I'm the right writer to write that period. Mm-hmm. This was me second year in my program. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, I have nothing else. And then this idea about Damon pops in my head. And I'm like, well, I have this idea about this young boy who you know, wants to be a dancer. And like, I, I go through the, right. a very rough, a crude pitch. And my friend Noga looks at me and is just like, idiot that's what you have to write write that <laughs> yes. like, you think? and she's like just fucking write it and I'm mm-hmm. like yeah, I don't know okay so I go in the class pitch it everyone's like you have to write that mm. um, and so I do you know like I just spend I mean I already have been researching in some odd way had already been researching that pilot because mm-hmm. I just I fell in love with the ballroom community mm-hmm. and you know was just was hyper aware of it um, and sometimes and it goes back to what you were saying like you'll have interest but you never think that that interest should become a story right right? and so i thought oh that's fascinating like let me take this interest and and craft a narrative around it and so i did and so i write this pilot in that class and felt really good about it Mm -hmm. it was the one time in my experience at ucla where i was an ultra diva in class and just refused (laughs) to take any notes um and i will acknowledge like it was a mega bitch in that class like people would give me notes like well what about and i'm like no mm -mm." so you were you were already channeling electra (laughs) truly yeah that was uh, truly of all the classes i had at ucla that was the one workshop where i was just not entertaining anybody's thoughts i was like no no thank you i'm good um and so like, I'll think about that. I'll, I'll consider that. that. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was that. <laughs> no. You're like, no. I can't work that into the narrative. No. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I would just really look at people. You're like, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, no, that was mm. a bad no. And so anyway, I write this pilot and I felt really good about it. And Neil was like, I think you have a real winner here. Hmm. And then I, we go into the summer. This is now summer of 2014. Mm-hmm. And I knew someone whose partner at the time was a, working as a manager, and so he sent out the pilot to a couple of places who will remain unnamed. Um, and, all been there. The, and the feedback was atrocious. Really? These are like major networks that were like, yeah, this is really bad. And I wow. thought, oh, okay. And that was heartbreaking for me. I thought, oh, I thought, it was, I, thought I had a winner right. here. Right. You know, so I had to eat some real humble pie that summer. And so then I went back to UCLA for a third year. And just kept writing and, you know, um, focusing on other, other narratives. And then at the very end of each academic year at UCLA, we have a student-run screenwriting competition called mm-hmm. Showcase. Right. Um, and we recruit, like, 200-plus judges from the industry and, you know, executives, managers, agents, etc. cetera. Um, and so I submitted both the pilot that I wrote about the crack epidemic and then I submitted Pose. And... Pose was it was, called Pose at the time? What did you call it originally? It was Pose. It was Pose? No, it was always called Pose. Okay. Um, and so the other pilot won Showcase, and then Pose was an honorable mention. Mm-hmm. And one of the execs, because we do everything blind, so it's all blind reads. Your mm-hmm. name is not on the script. Mm-hmm. Um, but this executive loved Pose so much that she sent it out to other executives and managers Hmm. without knowing anything about me. And so then, you know, like a month away from graduating, I suddenly had all this attention and I had some heat and, you know, I was meeting with managers and and that was really amazing. And so it was on the strength of that pilot that I signed with my managers, Hmm. I signed with agents Mm -hmm. and was taking general meetings, which was really incredible. And Mm -hmm. that pilot also is what led to me being staffed on uh, the Freeform show Dead of Summer. Mm -hmm. So it was incredible. The, the interesting part of it all, though, was that 
while Pose was opening, that original draft was opening up plenty of doors, it wasn't keeping me in any of those rooms. Mm -hmm. So I was walking in, and most executives were like, love the writing, love the world, characters are great. What else do you have? I was just... Okay. Like, it was just... And, you know, initially it started off with, it's a little niche. And then Mm -hmm. at a certain point, I think executives became more comfortable. And then it was... I don't know who the audience for a show like this is. I don't know where a show like this lives. And then once they became really comfortable, Mm -hmm. then it was, it's too black, it's too brown, it's too queer, it's too trans, it's a period piece. You know, you're never going to get the money to make this. Um, I love these stories. Okay, And so I just, I put it away. You know, I think, again, the... So my team, uh, fortunately for me, are all cisgendered, heterosexual, and white. Hmm. My entire team. Um, For the people who don't know, he's talking about his agents, his managers, his lawyers, his, like all his team. Yeah, like my whole team is all cisgendered white right. men and women, all straight. Mm. But what's amazing is that they took this very small, very personal, queer, trans piece about people of color and rallied behind it. Mm. And so that was always my lead sample. Mm. At no point did my team ever say to me, we need you to come with something else. <laughs> and when we had the conversations about my prompting, you know, I would prompt the conversation. And when we had the convo about, well, maybe I should write something else that's more accessible, they were like, well, no, because that's not true to your voice. Because right. mm-hmm. the two samples that they had read mm-hmm. were these two pieces that are in the 80s, they're in New York, you know, very personal, and both of them very clearly investigate communities of color. Right. Um, and so I think they felt like, well, no, but that's that's who you are right mm-hmm. like that's your work's always going to check those boxes mm-hmm. so no <laughs> we'll keep sending this work out and so pose just was the lead sample and so anyway i was staffed for uh, a couple months and then when i came out of the room so now we're fast forwarding to summer of 2016 mm-hmm. one of the meetings that i had because my team was great about continuing to send my work out even when i was in the room mm-hmm. um so i came out of the room with you know a bunch of general meetings ready to go and one of those meetings was with sherry marsh who's a non-writing executive producer on the show vikings mm-hmm. who's on history that's show right there that's my shit she talks about vikings oh. all the time listen i got my action figures <laughs> <sighs> i love that you're my dad my dad is also a oh huge huge fan um but sherry marsh is, is a ep on that show and um was one of the architects of the creation of that show early on and so she's wonderful and anyway she and I had a a general meeting summer of 2016 and it was just one of those weird moments where you meet with an exec and you just feel like you you you've known each other for a really long time and just hadn't ever connected and Mm -hmm. it was just a very strange meeting but at the end of it um we kind of looked at each other and we're like, we're going to find a way to work together. Mm. And so she had read another pilot of mine, but whenever I was in a room and I had an opportunity to talk about Pose, I would. And so I tell her about this show that I've written. And fortunately for me, she already had a working knowledge of the ballroom community because Mm. another issue that I was finding going into rooms and talking about Pose is that there was a lot of educating that would have to happen. Right. You know, so most, most of the time a general is never going to be more than maybe 45 minutes. Right. And if 30 of those minutes is me explaining what it means what to it be is. trans, yeah. what it means yeah. to be a person of color, yeah. what it means to be both, right. you know, and then talk about the ballroom community right. and explain houses. And it's just, you know, 30 minutes in and they've just glazed over, mm. you know, and it's like, you just thumped me over the head with a history lesson. And now I'm not really that interested mm-hmm. in hearing the story. Um, and so anyway, I, I was lucky that she understood the world already and so she read this pilot on a Friday 
And then Monday morning, my team called me and said, she wants to take it out. Hmm. And I thought, okay. And I'll be honest, like, you know, I was excited to go out and pitch with her because I knew that, um, you know, she would get me into some really great rooms to meet some really incredible people in our business. And mm-hmm. beyond that, that I would just have an opportunity to pitch and that I would work on that muscle. Because mm-hmm. I think as a writer, you spend a lot of time sitting in front of a mm-hmm. computer or you spend a lot of time with like a pen on and paper. And then have to go out and in person. You know, and it's then it's you a have different to, muscle. With, with exactly. muscle. Yes. And talking I to mean, other people. I mean, yeah. and I think mm-hmm. a lot of writers fail to realize it's equally as important because right. if you cannot sell your yourself mm-hmm. and the Medical material method. is more so on yourself <laughs> correct then it doesn't matter if the script if, if the script is the next Oscar winning mm-hmm. masterpiece because what they're looking at is can I work with this like, person can I work with you <laughs> can, <laughs> good? can he like does he, have, does he or she have these ability to like keep, keep me entertained I remember I was at right. this, this meeting at, at the guy uh, HBO and he was like I love to come to learn something and be entertained every day Mm. That's my job, and mm. I was, and it totally changed the mindset. I was like, oh, so I have to, yeah, because you have, you have to. It's like dancing the dance for them. It's like you got to be the the dancing bear for them, mm-hmm. and you got to accept that. Because once you accept that, then it becomes, well, what moves do I give you now that because I'm dancing anyway. Right. So now you know, and that's where like I think so many writers mess up, and they're afraid to pitch mm-hmm. or blah blah blah. But that it's so important because you because you, you can't you get your show on the that. air unless you can pitch because because like. You have to, like, just blast them with this confidence. They're like, shit, I gotta, I'm, I, I, right. how, how can I not do this show? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You know, and that only comes from, from, from having that right. strong. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're investing in, even more than the material, they're investing in you. Right. Um, and they want to believe that you're going to take them to the finish line. The finish line being, you know, the end of your, you know, sixth or seventh season mm-hmm. of television. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so I was excited to go out and pitch with her. I thought, okay, we'll go out and pitch. And I really went in with no expectations because I thought, you know, I've been at this rodeo already. Right. And I believed her, you know, because Sherry was passionate about right. it, right? And so that excited me. And kept you focused. And that kept me up. Yeah. It's the one, thing, it's the one yeah. thing I always tell everybody, Stephen, you need an ally. You need you somebody must. on your fucking team. Yeah. You must. For those you times when it. you're like, I can't, have I don't it. feel it, I don't know if it, it's right. like that Especially person. a powerful well, ally. Yeah. I was that just, really helps. Yeah. I was just on a panel um, for uh, NALIP, mm-hmm. which is the National Association for Latino, Latino. Independent mm-hmm. Producers, and um, a gentleman walked up to me afterwards and was asking for some advice and was like, oh, I have this, pit, this script I just wrote and I'm really excited about it. And I said to him, I said, the best thing you can do is find a really incredible producer who believes in you believes in the material understands the material Mm. because I think most people assume like okay well I'm just going to work with anyone or I'm going to work with Mm. a big name and I will acknowledge like I'm fortunate to be sitting here and have to say that my collaborators are FX Ryan Murphy Brad Falchuk but in reality it's like you know in the grand scheme of things you just want to find someone who really truly believes in the work you know like it doesn't Having the big name doesn't really matter. You can mm-hmm. work. I know plenty of people who have collaborated with big names and nothing has and come nothing up that, happened. right? Yeah. And so you want to have people who are really just going to go to bat for you, mm-hmm. who are always going to be honest with you, you know, and are going to fight, fight for you and fight for the material. Um, and anyway, Sherry was all of that and more. Um, and so we spent about a month and a half working on that pitch. Mm-hmm. And then we went out and we started pitching it. Um, and, you know, we had a little bit of interest. I think a lot of people, the response was similar to when I was going in the rooms without Sherry, mm-hmm. you know, which is I think people were kind of having a hard time understanding the world. Um, did you bring any visuals or did you just tell them the story? 
Uh, I don't think I did. No. I mean, I had some visuals in the Bible that I okay. created. Mm-hmm. Um, so you sent that to him before you did No, it just depends. There were some... some um, the writers out here will appreciate this little mm-hmm. piece, this little tidbit. Um, if we were meeting with someone who had already read the pilot, okay. then they were receiving the, the Bible. Okay. Um, if they hadn't received the, the, the pilot or if I hadn't met with them before, then we were just going in and pitching cold. Because okay. um, I think the concern on our end was that if we sent them the pilot slash the Bible first, then they could just say no right. without me ever getting it. Yeah. You never want to get an It's a fine line. Yeah. yeah. Very, Sometimes you give people too very, much information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important for the writers out there to know, like, you know, at least up front in the beginning, like right. don't give too much. You can right. give it all when you're in that room, mm-hmm. but wait until you're in the room. Right. Um, and so anyhow, no, we were going in without any visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and the jury's out on whether or not visual aids help. Mm-hmm. For a story, I suppose with Pose, maybe it could have. I think if you're if you're pitching genre, like if you're doing like a big world, like a yeah. Game of Thrones type of story, then I would say yeah, you want to go in with some visual aids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't pitching it as that. I was pitching this as like a family drama because right. at the core, that's what Pose exactly, is. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so to me, I was like, I don't know why you're having such a hard time wrapping your brain around <laughs> what this is. It's just it's about a family. Period. <laughs> um, and so anyhow. Pitched it for about two weeks, and then in the midst of pitching it for two weeks, we're about to walk into a pitch at a at a production company, and Sherry was running late. She was like ten minutes late. And I'm like, where is she? And the people are like, are you ready? And I'm like, no, nope, my producer is not here. Um, and she comes walking in, and she's getting off of the phone, and she's like, I just had a conversation with someone. You're never gonna believe who it is. Trust me when I say this is going to change everything. Mm. Let's just go do this pitch now. And I'm like, okay. And so we go in, mm. we pitch. The pitch was terrible because mm. the person who I was pitching to was just not very nice. Yeah. Um, and then we leave, and I'm feeling bad about myself. I was like, God, that pitch was terrible. And then she's like, it doesn't matter. I just got off the phone with Ryan Murphy. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, Ryan, he like walked off set. He had been, he was filming the pilot for Feud at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, he was directing and he took a moment to call her personally. And they've known each other for okay. like, you know, 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. They, their relationship goes back to popular. Um, but we're both at the same agency. Mm-hmm. And Sherry was really diligent about continuing to send the material out because she was like listen like i'm confident that we can get this sold but we're gonna want a big heavy hitter to really get it made like we don't want this to just go and languish in development hell um and so she happened to send it to ryan's agent who passed it along to ryan and so ryan was like listen i want to meet with this writer and i want to hear this pitch and so the following week we went in and this was nine days after he had just won a bunch of emmys for people (laughs) versus oj simpson Um, and American Crime shit. Story was my favorite piece of television oh, yes. that year. Yeah. So, you know, I have obviously went into that meeting n- nervous as hell because mm-hmm. I've, A, I've been watching his work and, and been a fan of his since popular, right. um, going back to 99, but loved OJ. And, and like, he's just, he's prolific, mm-hmm. you know, and so I thought, oh, gosh. Prolific. Like, but with excellence. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. There's a lot of prolific mofos out here, of, and yes. shit ain't good. That is true. <laughs> no, prolific and, and, you know, just grade A. Yeah. Um, and so I went in, and, you know, I basically... It's funny, because initially I went into that meeting, and I was told... And this is another one of those lessons for folks out there who have big pitches yeah, give coming it to up. Him, give it to which him. is, I went in advised not to give it all away. Because at that time, Ryan was already developing 
a show in the ballroom okay. community. And so it was just, and Sherry always says, timing is everything. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I don't know that I am the right person to dole out advice on timing because mm-hmm. I don't personally know that I've figured it out yet, like mm-hmm. what the secret is. Right. Um, but I've had enough people tell me timing's everything, but no one can really tell me exactly what that <laughs> exactly. means. Well, I mean, look, I mean, like the timing is just like, from my experience, it's when, it's when the, the, the stars align because... It's the thing that it's the thing that I tell people all the time. Nobody wants to do your movie. They have a there's something about your movie that or TV show that is appealing to them because they're because they're already they're, they're already interested in it. The fact that he was already developing it, but probably couldn't get it to work. But he's like, fuck, I don't know. But this does it all for me. Mm-hmm. That's the timing. And he saw he saw me read a draft recently of that project. Didn't like it or was or, to, or didn't even we just got coverage on it from his people. Was underwhelmed. And, it, and then he, you walk in. But yeah. And then you walk well, but in. To, but, I mean, but to like the bigger point, right, in terms of timing, if I come out of that room and let's say, I mean, any little step along the way, everything could have fallen apart, That's right? True. Had my team not sent that script, that initial script to Sherry, who then said, I want to meet with him, had Sherry received that script but decided she wasn't going to open it and read it, right. you know, like there's so many oh, micro this, steps oh, along know, the way that could, this whole yeah. thing yeah. could have fallen apart. Said, oh, I was saying earlier, yeah. 100 you steps know? just to just, just to get one little right. thing. It's 100 yeah. steps before they say action on the first day. Mm. Yes. So I don't know why the stars aligned in this way. Um, but timing is everything. And it's just, I'm fortunate that Sherry was like, let's go out with this pitch now. Because the other thing is she could have not said, again, going back to timing, she could have read my, my pilot for Pose and been like, I don't know if the time is now. Maybe we wait a year. Mm-hmm. And if that had happened, who knows? Ryan could have Ryan continued to develop else. his yeah. own mm-hmm. and I would not be part of that. Yeah. So, but the bottom line is we went out with it. We met with him. Um, and, and I was advised to go in and, not give everything away, right? Like, don't give all of your story away because then if he chooses not to work with you, maybe he would want to potentially use some of those ideas. Um, And I just had this moment where very, like, from the beginning of our meeting, there was this weird energy that I had with Ryan, and I don't know how he feels about it, Hmm. um, that I just felt like, I don't know, I just, I knew that I was meeting a collaborator. Like, I knew that I was meeting someone who would, I, like I think there are times where you see people mm-hmm. either in print or in interviews and you think oh like that person might be a friend you know mm-hmm. and I think there was just something about Ryan's energy when I met him that I thought prior to meeting him but definitely when I met him where I thought um, no this is someone who I think is really like we're going to be beneficial to each other right. you know in a lot of ways mm-hmm. like we're really going to push each other to be better right. and and I, I really in some odd way I really truly believe that um, and again I don't I hope I'm that for him I know he's definitely that for me but we went into that meeting and just there was this moment where I thought fuck it like I'm just going to put all my cards on the table right. face up and right. I gave him everything Good. I told him the pilot I gave him the season I told him all the characters like everything that passion came out it came yeah. out and then he did the same mm. with what he was developing he said okay well here's what I'm doing okay. and he put all his cards on the table mm. face up and then he did this incredible thing where he took some of my cards and he took some of his cards and he started blending them mm. and was like and this is what it could look like and so literally in the course of a 45 minute meeting we went from my my pitch to his pitch to now his pitching what it could look like if we worked on this together mm. and the whole time that was happening i was like what is happening because he's taking <laughs> you know like because obviously like that original draft that i wrote the the uh 
protagonist was Damon. Mm -hmm. So we switched the lens a little bit with what you now see on television. And now we focus mostly on Blanca. But but Damon was the, the... our well, Damon's, way Damon's our way to get this. in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Damon's yeah. Our, our... But through and through, he was the clear protagonist right. in that original gotcha. draft. And so Ryan in that meeting is now taking... Like, here I'm sitting in a, in a meeting with Ryan Murphy, and he's mm-hmm. talking about, so this is what would happen to Damon at this point in the story. And it's like, blowing Whoa. my mind. <laughs> blowing my mind this is happening. You're just like, right. Whoa. See, Thank you, Stephen. We Thank appreciate you. it, man. Thank Keep doing me. good shit. And, you know, we are all... You know, fingers crossed and prayers or whatever you believe. Put that shit out there that y'all get picked up for Thank season you. two. Thank you. They should already say guarantee already. already. Said That's some bullshit. Listen, listen. They should they should have known by episode right. one. Like, look, we gonna bring on Michael. Gonna do a season two. I'm just letting y'all know okay. right now. You guys no. official your official Twitter and it's, it's Pose FX, right? Hashtag Pose, pose FX. It's at Pose on FX. Uh, at, at Pose, pose on, on FX. FX. Okay. Okay. Cool. So where you at, um, Stephen? Where's Where's your Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Stephen Canals. Mm-hmm. That's Stephen with a V. We won't even get into that. And Instagram at SB Canals. Okay. That's what's up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, where you at, Chris? Uh, unauthorized CBD on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. The website is down at the moment. So. Okay. Where you at, Lisa? Lisa Colt Jam. I'm always on Twitter. At what fresh hell is this? <laughs> a great one. Dorothy Parker. Dorothy Parker. So yes, what fresh hell is this? Uh, usually I'm lurking in the hashtag Saturday Night Sci-Fi. Um, quick reminder: we, the Carl Brandon Society, is having their fundraiser for the Octavia E. Butler Memorial Scholarship. As you guys know, I support the Carl Brandon Society, and I was a recipient of the scholarship <laughs> back in 2012. But it's a specific scholarship that uh, was created. Um, um, to honor Octavia Butler's memory for students to go to the Clarion workshops. There's a Clarion and Clarion West. So we're trying to raise $10,000. She's in Clarion a couple years yes. ago. Yes, so right? we're, we're trying to raise money to send some more writers of color. That was Octavia's dream. And also, uh, my condolences to the widow of Harlan Ellison, because Harlan Ellison was Octavia Butler's teacher at the very first Clarion, mm-hmm. and he was the one who bought uh, her very first short story. And he just passed away. So I was a huge Harlan Ellison fan. So condolences to his family and, of course, to the sci-fi community because, you know, we lost another legend. But you can help the legend keep going by supporting the scholarship. So look for the tag. Hashtag hashtag because of Octavia. And then somewhere on there you should see a link that goes to the Carl Bannon Society page. So $5, $10, $25, whatever you can do because we're trying to get writers of color to write the future. So do that. True. And please and watch Pose. Don't promote you know, it. I'm not going to say please. Right now, watch that. Get show your there. life. <laughs> Come get your life. Watch the show. Tell a friend. Yes. And please let us know right away when season two. You know what? I'm just putting out in universe. You already had Damon created way back in the day. So we're just going to put in the universe that Pose is going to get a season four or five. <laughs> right. I like Crossing that. our fingers. Mm-hmm. But give me a season two. I'm a fan. Excellent work. Tell the cast they're amazing. Thank you. Indeed. Well. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter. I stay Twitter like I'm cool. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. At Hilliard Guest. Follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. <clears throat> Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes. Give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics. Please go on our new Patreon page. The link will be in the show notes. I've been doing this for years with no damn Patreon. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Uh, what else? God, so much shit going on. Um, 
Watch Pose, y'all. I'm telling you, you already, you already said the shit. You already preached it. Look, you already know. I know good shows when well, they come on. And I be trying to tell people, mm-hmm. y'all need to get with the program. <laughs> you need to get with the program and follow the, the trendsetters who know what's good. I love it. Right? I'm trying to tell y'all. Tell them. I'm trying to tell y'all. I made a plea last week. We were talking about Pose last week. I made a plea and I said, look, so all you straight motherfuckers out there... <laughs> Don't fall, don't sleep on it just because you think, oh, you. no, I wouldn't watch it. Mm-hmm. If you have family and you have hope and love and all that shit, this is the show for you. Mm-hmm. You can find yourself in one of those characters, I guarantee. I went to a barbecue, 4th of July. A mm-hmm. uh, friend of mine, her husband, just, you know, like straight white guy right. from the military, right. was like, I love the show. <laughs> it's so good. And every week I'm just like, I'm so invested in the characters and mm-hmm. the world and I'm learning so much. So, yeah. There's somebody for everybody on this show. It that's, is. that's all I'm saying. Yeah. So um, follow us on Facebook, uh, all that stuff. All the countries out there who, who follow us, we appreciate y'all. Um, God, so much shit going on. Uh, again, uh, you guys can hear the air conditioner on. I'm sorry, but it's fucking 100 and something degrees here in Hollywood. If I didn't have this on, we'd be here. But it's Sa- already hot. Satan has parked but. his car. <laughs> Hey, next to the this devil, building, huh? okay? He is right next to the building. <laughs> you brought the devil in, Stephen. Barbecuing. Sorry. <laughs> he is barbecuing right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, Jesse, for sitting in with us. We appreciate you, buddy. Um, so y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room. On this show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We're going to keep it Pose FX. 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 We're going to keep it what? Pose, pose FX. FX. Peace, y'all. Ciao. I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. So you wanna be a rider? Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing and doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the Red Room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes they used to pull a kaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.